This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 18. I'm Jim Garrity, host of the podcast and author of the best-selling book, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice. All right, today's topic, the change to Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 30B-6, which took effect today, December 1, 2020. Let's jump right in. The newly added language to the rule is just two sentences long and says in its entirety, Before or promptly after the notice or subpoena is served, the serving party and the organization must confer in good faith about the matters for examination. The subpoena must advise a non-party organization of its duty to confer with the serving party and to designate each person who will testify. So that's the change in its entirety. It doesn't or shouldn't significantly alter your existing practice in terms of noticing or defending against 30b-6 depositions. What it really does do is just codify what most litigators have been doing anyway, which is actively conferring about the topic list and a 30b-6 deposition notice, the things or the category of things for examination. So it's no longer just a best practice to talk to the opposing lawyer about the 30b-6 topic list. You're now obligated to do so, to have a good faith dialogue with the organization that you're noticing for the deposition Regardless whether you are the lawyer who's noticing the 30B6 or whether you are the attorney for the organization that's going to have that deposition taken, the rule says you've got to do that either before or promptly after the notice or subpoena is served, which again is what most litigators have always done as a smart practice. Noteworthy is that the new language isn't just the obligation of the noticing party, it's the mutual obligation of both parties. In contrast, for example, you'll sometimes see in federal initial scheduling orders that it's the plaintiff's obligation as the filing party to initiate the discussion with defendants to discuss the schedule and deadlines for the case. So I could see where it would have made sense to put the burden to initiate the conferral on the noticing party of a 30b6 deposition. But on the other hand, an organization and its counsel has considerable influence on how the 30b6 is conducted and whether it's a success or a failure who shows up, what they know. So it also makes sense to hold the organization equally responsible for making sure that the deposition, when it takes place, is productive. Now, as you may know, there was an earlier version of this new change, which I believe was first published in August of 2018, that would have actually required the parties to do a lot more than just have a general good faith conversation about the topics. That earlier version that had been proposed would have required specific conversation about the number of topics, the description of the topics, and the identity of the actual witnesses that would be produced to testify about them. After considerable opposition to that proposed version, those additional more specific obligations uh, were dropped. So now it's really just a conferral obligation, which again, most lawyers uh, previously did as a best practice anyway. Now I'm going to cover 30b6 depositions in much more detail in future episodes, but let me talk for just a minute about how you might want to approach these mandatory conferrals. First, you'll need to decide whether you want to begin the discussion before or after you serve the notice or subpoena. Providing a draft topic list might save you some time, so there is a real benefit to sending it over to the organization's counsel or the opposing party's counsel before you notice it. On the other hand, you sure don't want to get bogged down in never-ending discussions about the topics. If you choose to send the topic list as a draft before you notice the deposition, I recommend that you set some time frames for this conferral. 
The rule does not require that you reach agreement. It only requires that you confer in good faith. So you might consider setting a specific time frame for the preliminary conferral, such as a week or 10 days, whatever it is. Otherwise, conferral uh, becomes delay. If you notice the deposition first, before the conferral, I suggest that you immediately contact counsel for the entity and make plain that you are ready to begin your conferral under the rule. Do that in writing so that you have proof that you satisfied the rule's obligations of promptness in your conferral efforts. Now, here are just a few practice pointers for getting ready to begin the conferral effort. And as I said, I'll cover many of the nuances of 30B6 depositions uh, in future episodes. Point number one, keep in mind the three major complaints about topic lists in general in the context of 30B6 depositions. First, those topic lists are often just too vague to allow an entity to properly prepare their witnesses or witnesses that they're going to designate for testimony. Sometimes topic lists are drafted like document requests or interrogatories with phrases like including but not limited to or any and all or by example only and without limitation. That stuff just doesn't work in the context of a 30B6 topic list. And most judges reject these kinds of open-ended phrases because the organization just can't reasonably prepare if the actual topics are not specifically listed in the notice. So stay away from phrases like that. I get that you don't want the representative to literally read your categories and only be able to answer a few highly specific questions, but open-ended phrasing isn't the way to fix that. Careful and thoughtful drafting is. A second chief complaint about topic lists is that they cover unreasonably long spans of time. So if you're drafting the notice and taking the deposition, it's good to keep the time span as reasonably tight as possible in your topic list. Include time frames and be thoughtful about setting them. They should not be unlimited in scope. A third common objection to 30B6 notices is that there are often an excessive number of topics. Now, there's clearly no hard and fast rule about how many topics is too many. I've seen cases with more than 200 topics. In fact, I cited one in the book, 10,000 Depositions Later, and I've seen court rulings that limited lawyers to less than 10 topics. It really is just going to depend on your case and on the facts. But let me say this. I would not be unnecessarily afraid of what seems like a particularly long topic list. Why? The answer is because many courts take the position that you're only entitled to one 30B6 deposition from an organization. The rules don't specifically address that point, but the rule is clear that you're only entitled to depose a person once, absent stipulation or court order. And quite a number of courts take the position that a corporation meets the definition of a person under the rule, and so you only get one deposition of the entity, just as you would of an individual, absent stipulation or court order. So you've got to take that into account when coming up with your topic list. Do not leave topics off your list because you're fearful that the list will get too long on the assumption that if you need to take another 30B6 later, that you're going to be able to do that. You might not. Okay, so keep those um, three chief problems in mind when you begin mapping out your 30B6 conferral efforts. It'll sure help out. Another topic to discuss, are you going to inquire about matters in your 30B6 that go beyond the specific topics that you've listed? Most courts agree that the list of topics in a 30B6 notice is not exclusive. It isn't a guarantee to the recipient organization that the listed topics are going to be the only things that you cover. As a general rule, covering additional topics is perfectly fine. Now, 
You may run into lawyers defending a deposition that object and say, no, you can't do that, but they'd simply be wrong. So it's okay to cover additional topics that were not listed in the notice. All that means is that the witness, the designated representative, may no longer be speaking in an organizational capacity. And it certainly also means that the designated rep has no obligation or had no obligation to prepare for those unlisted topics. So that's something to think about as well. Do you plan on covering additional topics beyond what you've got listed? You may want to raise that in your conferral and it's certainly not necessary to do so, but it might be a good idea. Okay, so uh, still another conferral planning pointer. If the organization is going to produce someone as the designated representative that you already plan to depose in an individual capacity, you'll want to confer with the organization's lawyer about whether you want to do these depositions in one sitting or in two. So for example, if you're already planning on deposing senior manager Joe Jones in an individual capacity, and you then learn that the entity is going to produce Joe Jones as well for the 30B6 deposition, you may be pushed to do both depositions in one setting. And that's fine, as long as you don't need time to conduct additional discovery after taking one before doing the other. But if you are going to do it in a single deposition, let me say this. Be absolutely clear on the transcript about the point at which your examination of the witness switches from the witness's 30B6 capacity to the witness speaking as an individual or vice versa. Otherwise, in that transcript, neither you nor the court may be able to tell whether a particular answer binds the organization or not, and that could be disastrous for you and simply destroy the benefit of the 30B6 deposition in the first place. All right, as I said, there's lots to cover on the topic of 30B6 depositions, and I'll be doing that in future episodes. For now, we'll close out on today's amendment. Once again, thanks for listening. And do remember that we'd love a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It helps keep us going and makes it a lot easier for others to find us and subscribe.